So that concludes our service. <laughs> that was enough to fill you right up, wasn't it? We're in Acts, you can be seated. You're in Acts chapter 11. Because we're going through these chapters, we're going to, I'm going to start off with a little intro into these, into these 10 studies on seeking and saving. And as you know, our God is a seeking and saving God. So that's the foundation of every one of these 10 studies. God is a seeking and saving God. And that's the reason that you here who know him, know him. Because he sought you out. And he sought us when we were sinners and enemies. He wants our relationship with him to be, to be that which has completely, radically changed our lives. He sought us out and he continues doing that. He's the good shepherd. So as we continue through these chapters, we're in 11 today. Next week we'll be in 12. I hope that you'll read ahead and ask the Holy Spirit as you read to minister to you that some of the things that might be in, in this passage for you. So ours is not to save. God uses us, yes, to seek out in, in that way. But ours is not to save. God does that. And he always does that. We can't save anybody. And so we're, ours is to say it, to keep on praying it, and keep on at it. As far as this great commission, God saved us for a great commission. And that is, as Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is our mandate. That's not a suggestion. It's the commission we've been given. And how that looks in everyone's life is going to be very different. But we need that on our hearts on a continual basis. And I know we're in Acts for that very reason. That we would see Jesus Christ working through us to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, Francis of Assisi, who lived 11, in the late 1100s, said this, quote, It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Someone said, preach the gospel and where necessary use words. We are to be light and salt. So, it's of no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, what is the chief end of preaching? I like to, think of it, like to think of it like this. It is to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. They say, Lord, may that be true for me. That when people see my life, they see you. Jesus said, let your good works shine so that when they see you, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we want. We want to bring all glory to God. So to me, I want to be the real deal with God. I don't have to fake it. I don't want to pretend it. I want to walk my talk. And many of the lives of those people that I'm, in, that I'm uh, in contact with, I want them to see, we looked at this last week, the mercy of God. I want them to understand or at least see the grace of God. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want them to see that God is a seeking and saving God who loves them as much as he loves anybody. So before we get into chapter 11, I wanted to do a little um, visual by way of some maps. Just to give you a little, this is, these are maps that cover chapters 8 through 12. So we're, this is the modern day uh, Middle East. We're going to be looking in this area right here, Israel and Syria, and these areas right in here, Cyprus, in our, cha in our chapter today, next week, and going back to chapter 8. Next slide. So these are little numbers. I hope you can see them. And this is from Lagos Bible Maps. Number one, Peter and John visit Samaria to help Philip, about a 26-mile uh, trek. They traveled usually about 20 miles a day around there. That's Acts chapter 8. Then number two, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching to villages in Samaria. So here's Samaria. They return to Jerusalem and they're preaching uh, to villages in Samaria. From this, Peter goes out to Gaza. As you know, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. And then Philip is uh, transported like, I think, Star Trek or something. 
to Azotus. Number three, Saul of Tarsus' conversion happens in Acts chapter 9. In his travels, Peter visits Lydda. So Peter visits Lydda. Now Lydda uh, is modern day where the Tel Aviv International Airport is. There he heals Aeneas in, nine, in chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. Peter is called to Joppa, which is modern day Jaffa today. Jaffa, however they say it. That's about 11 miles. So that's like from going from, from Kent to the Renton Highlands between these two here. So that travel, number four, Peter goes to Joppa. Here, Dorcas is raised from the dead, Acts chapter 9. We got into Acts chapter 10 last week. Cornelius has a vision and sends for Peter about 30 miles, so from Kent to Edmonds. So Peter, Cornelius has this vision, and he, he sends for Peter. Uh, right here in verse number five. And then six, Peter then goes to Cornelius, and there he preaches to, to the Gentiles Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit is poured out on his hold, on his house. We looked at that last week. Getting to chapter 11 now, next slide. Lots of numbers up there. Peter in Jerusalem testifying about the Gentile conversions. Acts chapter 11, 1 through 18. The Christians are scattered by persecution after Stephen's death. So we'll see that in our passage today. So these ones, they're all scattered because of the martyrdom of Stephen. So some of them wind up going to Antioch. Disciples from Cyprus and Cyrene who were in Jerusalem now go to Antioch in Acts chapter 11. Barnabas sent, is sent to Antioch. Now from Jerusalem to Antioch is about 300 miles. That's like uh, going from Kent to Spokane, if you will. Again, 20 miles a day. So that's quite a trek that they were making from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, in Antioch, from there, Barnabas goes to Tarsus gets Paul and brings him back there. They spend about a year, as we'll see today. In Antioch, the Christians were first, the church was first called Christians there at Antioch, Acts eleven twenty six. Now, in the meantime, Herod kills James, imprisons Peter, Peter's delivered. We'll get this in chapter, Acts chapter 12. That's number six. Where's six? Oh, all in Jerusalem, yes. Uh, seven, Herod goes to Caesarea, and there he dies. Now, picking up again in Acts chapter 11, Agabus and prophets from Jerusalem warn of a famine. Barnabas and Paul sent to Judea with famine relief. So that's what we get in these, uh, in numbers 8 and 9 here. So I don't know if that helps you, but that's a little geography on what we're looking at, have been and will this week and next. So this morning, before we get into, get through, going through chapter 11, I want to call your attention to one verse in Acts 11. If you open your Bibles or get on your, your widgets, uh, verse 23, this is the central theme of what I want to talk this morning from Acts 11. Verse 23, when he came and had seen, that's Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. So when Barnabas had seen the grace of God, what happened? And what did he see that we need to see? So if you don't mind, can, I bow, can we bow and ask the Lord to bless his word now? My microphone just went crazy on me here. Hold on a second. I think I'm wired. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. As we hear your word, as we read your word, as we study your word, as we memorize your word, it's active, it's alive, it's powerful. It's able to discern between the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. 
So search us, O God, and, and search out our hearts that we might see what you already see, that you, Lord, might be able to speak into us words of life today from Acts chapter 11. So Holy Spirit, we depend on you completely. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God changes the people of God. And so, Lord, we look to you. We pray you'd pour out your spirit. You take the things that I prepared, break them fresh right now. We're hungry, Lord. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. And we also pray for anyone that might be listening today, if they don't know you yet, today would be their day to know Jesus Christ and to know the only true God, and that is you. We love you, Lord. Bless now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So ten times, what happened? In Acts chapter, uh, in the book of Acts, ten times we find this word grace. So he's seen the grace of God. What, what happened? What do, they, what do they see? And what, do we, what can we glean from these things? Ten times we find the word grace in the book of Acts. It begins in chapter four when Peter and John had been arrested. They were before the Sanhedrin. They let them go. And it says this, Acts 4.33, and great grace was upon them all. In Acts chapter 11.23 is the next time we just read. When he's seeing the grace of God, he was glad. Verse uh, verse 43 of chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Acts 14.3. Speaking boldly, they were bearing witness to what? The word of his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God doing for us what we don't deserve. He's pouring into our lives of his grace. We've been saved by grace through faith. Now in Acts three times, Acts 14, 26, in Acts 20, 24, and in Acts 15, 40, they were commended to the grace of God. Now that word commended means this, to praise formally or officially. So this is an official statement. You need to know the grace of God. It means to recommend as worthy of confidence. You need, to, you need to know and I need to see the grace of God, that we can put our confidence in the grace of God. It means to mention with praise. Now, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's a, maybe that's the top one on all hymns that have ever been written because we know who saved a wretch like me. We need to know the grace of God and see it. And, and because of that, as we look at today, what happens when, that, when we do see the grace of God? Acts 18, 27. Those who believed through grace. Acts 20, 24. Let Paul, and this is a fantastic chapter. I can't wait to get to it. It's Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he's telling them all about his ministry. He's thinking he's never going to see them again. They're weeping because of Paul. They might not see Paul again. He says this to them, the Ephesian elders, two things concerning grace. In verse 24, none of these things move me. Talking about persecution, talking about all the things that he might be facing. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord. What? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. That's what motivated Paul. He said, it's the grace of God that I labor more abundantly than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And he said, none of these things move me. Why? Because he knew the grace of God. Again, Acts 20. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's saying, you need to know the grace of God. He said to his young protege, Timothy. He said, Timothy, you need to be strong in the grace of God. 
So God, first of all, looked last week, he's a God of mercy. He does not give us what we deserve. Wow. I mean, that's a boatload of stuff that he could easily have said, I'm done. He didn't do that. He's merciful to us. And the gospel is the triumphant grace, the triumphant mercy of God in people's lives. The gospel knows no boundaries of race, religion, creed, or culture. All are saved because our God is a merciful God. We looked at that last week. This week, this week we get to talk about the grace of God. Grace is found in every New Testament epistle except First and Third John. More than 110 times. It's the grace of the, God, the gospel, the grace of God. Ten times in the New Testament, we find this phrase, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every time it says, be with you. Because in flesh and blood, we saw the grace of God. So Paul says to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to the Philippians, to the Thessalonians twice, to Philemon, and finally in Revelation, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and how we need to know the grace of God is with us through our Lord Jesus Christ. But this one is the profound one that, that, that shows us the definition of why. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his Poverty might be rich. What an exchange. Jesus, in all of his glory, became a human being, became a man, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He became poor for us. See, that's why we need to know the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit, because this is the crux of the whole matter. Jesus who was rich became poor for us that we through his poverty might become rich. We're heirs of the kingdom of God, the riches of Christ that are ours. Why? Because God is not only merciful, he's gracious. He's a gracious God. Someone defined grace as this. God's riches at Christ's expense. Says it all. God's riches at Christ's expense. John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father, which means the heart of God, the only begotten of the Father, he has declared. And what has he declared? Our God is a gracious God. He gives us what we never deserved. He's merciful, and through his mercy, he releases his grace to all. It's the heart of God, grace is. So Barnabas had seen the grace of God. What happened? Here's the first thing that happened. He was glad. Are you glad today? It's said of Jesus that God anointed him with the oil of gladness more than his companions. The most happy person in all the world that ever lived on planet Earth is Jesus Christ. He was glad. Why? He had seen God 
win, not Jesus, Barnabas. He had seen God win. I love that whole idea. Somewhere along the way, God won over Barnabas. Barnabas saw God win over a hate-filled Saul of Tarsus. Barnabas saw God win over the apostles in receiving Saul of Tarsus. God won over Peter. As we looked at last week. And six of his Jewish companions. He won them over. Through Peter's testimony, God is going to win over those contending Jews, as we're going to see here. He gives his testimony. And he wins over the whole Jerusalem church to this whole persuasion about the gospel. Let's go through it. Acts 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, the Jews, contended with him, saying, you went into, an uncircumcised, men, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You're not supposed to do that. You're Jewish. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. As they, at that very moment, you got to love God, how he's working. Three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. We looked at this last week. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, Cornelius. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you, notice, words by which you and all your household will be saved. So he wasn't a Christian yet. He became a Christian. He was born again in this encounter. Verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then, Peter said, then I remembered the words of the Lord. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's reflecting back to when he was with Jesus, and Jesus said these things to him, and now he's realizing not only to us, but also to the Gentiles. That's what happened. What happened to them is what happened to me. And don't you love to reflect back on those times when you got something the Lord said? You got it. Oh, wow. Isn't that fantastic? Verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. Notice, they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Soon, Barnabas is also going to see God win over Gentiles in Antioch. And all, he's going to be a part of seeing it all over the world. Barnabas would join Paul, and as they traveled throughout the world preaching the gospel, they would see many, many more Gentiles surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's still happening. You and I are part of it. You and I are part of it. Now, it is said that certain Jews were so infuriated 
by the extraordinary success that Barnabas was having in preaching the gospel and people being saved, that they came along as he was disputing in a synagogue in Syria. They dragged him out. They tortured him, inhumane torture, and then they stoned him to death. You think, oh, what a sad thing. It is sad for us on this side. But remember when Stephen was stoned? He looked up to heaven and said, I see the Lord standing. You see, that's the great win over of any win over. That's the great victory that's ours in death. And that's what Barnabas ex uh, would experience. The greatest victory in all of life is the victory over death. Can I hear an amen? A big amen. amen. A bigger amen. amen. When we die, it doesn't end. The grace of God is not just this life. The grace of God is our eternal life. He gave to us what we don't deserve. He took care of the penalty of sin. He took care of the power of sin. He took care of all of that on the cross. He said, now it's all yours. You believe me, you trust me. I'm gonna show you how gracious I am to you. And when we die and we stand before him in glory, he's gonna say, Father, he's mine. I died for him. He's gonna usher me into that eternal kingdom. And oh, I'm getting excited. That's the victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? It's wiped out, no matter how it happens. When we die, it's not over. Now, it's not over not only for the believer, but it's not over if you don't know Jesus Christ. It's appointed to men once to die, and then the judgment. You see, as a believer, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And there, my life will be judged for what I've done in this body. In other words, it's important how I'm living my life. It matters. But for someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, you have no standing before God for eternal life. You see, it's Jesus who needs to say, he's mine, she's mine. And that only happens in this life. It's appointed to men once to die, and then the judgment. You see, there are two judgments. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and there's the great white throne judgment. And you don't want to be standing at the great white throne judgment because it will be over and your life you will spend eternally separated from God. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said it. I'm preaching to you the bad news. That's bad news. But let me tell you, you can't really appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. And the bad news is that a holy, just, and righteous God has died for your sin because he has to, that had to be satisfied. His justice had to be satisfied. He couldn't just say, well, that's okay, all your sins. No, he satisfied that wrath. The wrath of God was satisfied on Christ. But you must make a choice. The relationship that you have with God is a choice because if it's a meaningful relationship, it must involve choice. So God's not going to force you into heaven. He's not going to force you into his kingdom. He's going to say, I love you. I have this for you. I've taken care of all the necess necessary things at the cross for your life, but you must decide. And the most important decision you will ever make in all of life is the, the decision you make between life and death, between heaven and hell between the kingdom of God and remaining bound in the kingdom of darkness. So I plead with you, we plead with you, we're praying for you that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you will come to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's gonna involve making a confession of Jesus. So at the end of the service, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna ask three things. I'm gonna ask you to raise up your hand. I'm gonna ask you to stand up. And here's why it's so important to stand up. First of all, Jesus said you have to confess him before confess him before men. He'll confess you before his father, but here's why it's important in my mind. When you stand in obedience to what you know is right, 
When you make that public confession to what you know is right before God. In other words, when you obey God, he backs it up and wipes it all away. All the excuses, all the fears, all the reasons. He gives that right over to where he placed it on the cross. And when you stand and make your confession of Jesus Christ, I want to follow Christ, he takes your past and he wipes it out. That's obedience, guys. See, you obey God and he will do what he said he would do. Whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. So hand up, stand up, and then walk up to the tables, and there there'll be people to pray for you. And let me tell you this, the fourth thing, we're going to give it up because the angels in heaven give it up for one sinner that repents, the 99 who need no repentance. So we're praying, brothers and sisters, we're praying. I'm going to talk about this a little more in a moment. So the question that goes along with this, has God won you over? I believe the grace of God tells me he's got to win me over every minute of the day by his grace. I need to be won over again and won over again. That's what he does. That's what love does. Wins, wins me over again and again. And again, if, you, he haven't, if he hasn't won you over the beginning point, and that's through repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, let him win today. Let him have his way in your life. You will never, ever regret it. You'll never see life the same again. Because you'll be seeing it from an eternal perspective. Oh, I'm excited. He was glad. He had seen God win. Secondly, he had seen what God did. He saw what God did. And that is so fantastic. When you see God at work. He saw God baptize them with the Holy Spirit. He saw God grant them repentance to life. There's nothing more exciting. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to pray for someone to receive Christ. I haven't done that very much in my own, my own personal interactions a couple times, but not many at all. But I'll tell you, when you do, you're going, wow. Amen. Wow. What, it, the, the person who wins souls, Proverbs says, is wise. Wise. God added, he saw them adding to the church. That's what they saw, the grace of God baptizing them, saving them, adding them to the church. And I think it's interesting in Acts, again, 10 times. We find this whole idea of additions or multiplying. So Acts 2.41, about 3,000 souls were saved. Acts 2.47, about, they were added daily. Acts 4.4, about 5,000 came. So they're, they're keeping track. Acts 5.14, they were increasingly added Acts 6, 7, the number of the disciples multiply. Acts 9, 31, a great many priests were obedient to the faith. Many of them. Acts 9, 31, they were multiplied. Acts 9, 35, all who dwelt in Lydda, all who dwelt in Lydda and Jaron were added to the church. Acts 9, 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. So it's it sort of tallying up. Acts 11. Verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. So they have this ongoing, but here's an interesting thing I came across. After Acts chapter 11, it seems as though Luke stopped keeping track. Six times from the rest of the book, we have just many. So I said, well, many came, many were added. I wonder, this is sort of my own musings, I wonder if it was because so many were coming to the Lord that they stopped trying to count. When Paul was on his second missionary journey, they came to Thessalonica. And here's what it says, Acts 17, 6. The rulers of the city crying out, these are those who have turned the world upside down and have come here too. Like, 
Man, they're just, it's just going like gangbusters. As, we, as I said, Barnabas, because he was so, the Lord was just doing so many things, they killed him. So it's as though so many were coming to Jesus that they stopped counting. Now, we've had the joyous privilege over the last six or seven months to see people coming to the Lord right here in this room. I've also heard of those coming in our children's ministry and in our junior high and in our middle school or high school ministry. They're coming. I would say over the last six or seven months, 40 to 50 people have come to know Jesus that we know of. And I, th- I thought, you know, that is so awesome. It's so exciting. It's so much, it's so invigorating, isn't it, to see God do that, to see the grace of God in that way. But I said, would to God we have to stop counting. Would to God so many were coming to Christ that we had to stop counting. And I'm praying for that. Would you pray with me up along with that? That we will see, we've been praying for that, that God will bring people who don't know him right into this room or into our children's ministry. Many times, it's children that bring their parents. Now, you would think, well, they can't drive. No, the parents drive them, but little do they know that God's using their kids to get them to church. And so we'll see in our children's ministry. Lindsay has a big heart to see our children come to Christ. Rosalind, doing our Kent Elementary outreach. We want to see these kids coming to Christ. It doesn't have to be in this building. It can be in the school. It can be wherever it is. But we're praying, and I'm, I'm asking, this is what God wants to do. I know it. Now we need to pray and say, Lord, how do you want to do that? Would you do it? Would you just pour out your spirit? You see, we can't do it. This is not our deal. But God wants to do it. And he's going to do that through us. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest and he send out laborers. Let me tell you this, as a believer, when you pray that, you're praying for yourself. We are the laborers. Lord, send out the laborers. And you're looking, who, who's going to go out? God's saying, uh, you need to look at yourself. We are to be the laborers. However that's working, salt and light in the world. He was glad, saw God win, seen what God did. He saw people responding to God. You see what, and is that not the grace of God? Seeing people responding to God is such a fantastic thing. People were preaching the word. Look at verse 19. Those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews. Now, that's what's going on right now. But some of these were from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Talk about that in a minute. Antioch in Syria, we looked at the map. There are are a couple of Antiochs. This one's in Syria. Along, Along with being a commercial center, became a church center. Antioch became the base of operations for all of Paul's missionary journeys. Antioch was also home to a very large Jewish community, so plenty of people to preach to. Antioch was a very beautiful city. It was the third largest in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. But also, Antioch was a very vile city. Ritual prostitution was part of its temple worship. It was a sinful, sinfully laden city. It was so corrupt that one of the writers back then wrote that Rome... 300 miles away, or 1,300 miles away, was affected by their vileness and their sinfulness and, their, and all the corruption that was there. Sounds like our world, doesn't it? You see, that's where God sent us. Into the world that needs a Savior. 
It's corrupt, yes, but the gospel is the answer. There's a lot of sin, yes, but the gospel is the answer. There's a lot of hurting people, yes, but the gospel's the answer. You know, we're, we're laboring, as it were, as a nation under all this division and divisiveness and, and just somebody went into a, a, a restaurant and just killed three more people yesterday. It's crazy. The gospel's the answer. People coming to know Christ. So Antioch was moving and people were moving to it. God's moving in Antioch and people are actually going to Antioch to be a part of what God's doing. And that's what happens when you see the grace of God. You want to be a part of it. You want to see what God's doing. And many were coming to Christ. Now I happened to wind up in, in Costa Mesa, California in 1976, which was about the middle of the Jesus movement. And I got to see that, see what God's doing. It was so amazing, but it's God doing it. And we're praying that God will do that again. We're in Pirate's Cove down there in, in Southern California. Hundreds of young people being baptized and seeing God move and God work. He wants to do that. I don't know how he does that and how he chooses, but he wants to do it. I know that. He wants to do it. And that's what was happening in Antioch. God was moving. Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, quote, this is a crucial hinge in the Acts account. For the first time, the church actively proselytized Gentiles. The Samaritans of chapter 8 were pretty Jewish. The Ethiopian eunuch was going out on his own to seek it. We saw the uh, initiative that Cornelius took as being prompted by the angel. But now, as it says here, the church took the first steps to take the message to uncircumcised Gentiles. Turning point. So people receiving the word of God. People were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Those are not separate actions. To believe in the Lord is to turn to the Lord. The Greek even supports that. Didn't know they believe, but if you really believe and your faith is in Christ, then you will turn from your old life. That's a part of what you're doing. You can believe mentally, but if you never turn, you'll never know salvation. They believed and turned to the Lord. People were glorifying God. This is what was happening. This is what he was seeing happen. Now, the second thing, and I want to spend a little time here. He was glad, and we are glad to see those things. But he says there, he encouraged them all. He encouraged them all, verse 23. He helped people to see what God wanted to do in their lives. That's encouragement. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. That's his name. I hope you have somebody, a Barnabas, in your life. We need Barnabases in our lives who encourage us. My wife is my Barnabas. She encourages me. She speaks words for me. Many Christians are dying on the vine for lack of encouragement. I hope that's not you. There are optimists and there are pessimists. The optimist invents the airplane. The pessimist invents the parachute. But here's the deal. Both are big positives when needed. Can I hear an amen? They're big positives when needed. Sometimes I need a parachute. Sometimes I want the airplane. When needed, both are an encouragement to wherever we're at in life. So how do we do that? A simple phone call has an amazing way to encourage people. And I like emails, but I like a voice. I like to hear. I, I experienced that this week. Someone was on my heart. I knew I was going through a hard time. 
I hadn't called my, my brother. I hadn't called him. I don't think I ever called him before, maybe one time. And so I called him and said, you know, how's it going and stuff? And he was telling me he's involved in a 40-day prayer thing and um, praying with a couple of friends, working through the, the difficulties. And, you know, I was listening. I said, that's fantastic. You're giving yourself. You're working through these things. You're seeking God. It's great. Then he said this. You know, when I woke up this morning, I prayed, God, would you surprise me today? And so I said to him, well, did he surprise you? And he said, yeah, my pastor called me. That's me. I was so encouraged. He wasn't saying, well, when he said, you're finally called. No, that was something the Lord put on my heart to call him. And he's on the other end. God's working on two ends to encourage both of us. Paul knew his need for encouragement. He said that I may encourage you that we may be encouraged together. We need encouragement. And just simple phone calls. And so I make it a practice of mine when I'm driving home. My, no, I'm not, I don't have my cell phone up to me. I got it on my dash. And I'll, if someone comes to mind, I will call them. Doesn't take much. I'm driving home. And I'll just say, hey, how's it going? Well, what do you need? I, don't, I just want to say, I want to find out how you're doing. It's, it's so powerful. It's encouragement. Now, if you think of the word encouragement, it's encourage. E-N, courage. Now, I like to think of it as everyone needs courage. Everyone needs courage. That's encouragement. When I hear those things, it helps me to move, keep moving on in my life. We need encouragement. So when was the last time you encouraged somebody? It's not difficult. It's powerful. Psalm 15, 23, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. How good it is. A simple, kind word. Just to appreciate someone for no reason is always powerful. I love Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in baskets of silver. Picture it. Apples of gold in baskets of silver. Now that's valuable. That's extremely valuable. You just go, wow, I'd like to have that sitting on my table. Apples of gold in baskets of silver. So valuable. A word fitly spoken. Saying something. And it's not difficult. A reassuring word for someone who's going through difficulty. And here, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I want to encourage you. Isaiah said this, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. You see, I think another thing we need, a little more conscious, when we know someone's, we've learned, we, we know they're going through trouble, to make it a, a point to somewhere along the line, call them, send them an email, do something to encourage them, because we all need encouragement. We all need Barnabas. That someone right next to you will prosper from just a little word of encouragement. Someone just because they are there to say something positive. To say something encouraging. Someone who has tried hard and it didn't work out. Someone who did their best, but it was, the best wasn't enough. Someone who recently lost their job. Someone who recently moved or moved in. A couple up against it with their family. A husband and wife separated and desperate for strength to know how to keep going. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. How is it going? A divorced person who's longing to be long again. A widow or widower who's just in need of some companionship. A soldier who's off at war. A missionary laboring in a foreign country. All of them, all of us need encouragement. 
He was always in trouble at school, so when the parents of the junior high boy received one more call to come in and meet with his teacher and the principal, they knew what was coming, or so they thought. The teacher sat down with the boy's father and said, thanks for coming. I wanted you to hear what I have to say. The father crossed his arms and waited, thinking what defense he could use this time. The teacher proceeded to go down a list of 10 things, 10 positive affirmations of the junior high troublemaker. When she finished, the father said, and what else? Let's hear the bad things. That's all I wanted to say, she said. That night, when the father got home, he repeated the conversation to his son. And not surprisingly, almost overnight, the troublemaker's attitude and behavior changed dramatically, all because a teacher looked past the negatives. And so I say to you teachers again, as I did last week, and I believe the Lord wants to encourage you again, you stay at it. Chris is a teacher, dedicated. You stay at it. The impact you're having is over the top for these kids' lives, particularly in the broken world that we live. You stay at it, and I thank you for your labors and your service. And our kids are going to be the fruit of some of the things you've said just to encourage them and encourage them. Now, I know reality is, is reality. <laughs> it's not easy and it's difficult, but you stay at it. He encouraged them all. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. God specifically told Moses, you go and encourage Joshua. Now, why would God do that? Because Joshua had been around when Moses was dealing with all the people. <laughs> and he saw the mess. He saw the rebellion. He saw all the things they were doing against Moses, their leader. And so God said to Joshua, you go, Mo Moses, you go and you encourage Joshua. Because he's got a job ahead of him and he's all in. But he needs encouragement. So in Deuteronomy 1, it says, The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes. Even you shall not go in there. Moses couldn't go in the promised land. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So he's saying to the people, you encourage Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 3. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. That's what God told Moses. You go do that. Now, what did you, how did he do it? He did it publicly, and he did it privately. We had our staff, our team chapels on Tuesday from 9.30 to 11. We get together as a, as a staff, and we call it our team chapel. And we begin that with shout-outs. Now, a shout-out is simply, hey, I saw this this week. I want to give a shout-out to, to Garrett for the great job he did with so-and-so. And then we all clap. Yay. Now, we just started doing that this, this, uh, this year. But we, we kind of look forward to, okay, what's the shout-out? And honestly, we all say, I hope I can give a shout-out once in a while. Because <laughs> we need it. We want to see that happening. Sometimes, probably about a third of them, it's someone who's not at staff meeting. And so what we do is we get out our, somebody gets out their phone, and they say, you know, Steve, I'm really thankful for all that you did this week. It was a great job, and da 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 and videoing it. And then everyone claps, and we pan the, around the circle, and then we send it to them. We've gotten so many. All that is, is encouragement. We saw it, we know it, and we are thankful for it. We have such a discouraging place. Don't, isn't it? Life is discouraging. So, I say, hey, how about a little encouragement? And that's just one thing we're doing to try and, again, up the ante against the devil in destroying and discouraging us from keeping on, keeping on for Jesus. King Hezekiah was an encourager. 
He encouraged the Levites and he encouraged the military captains. I don't care what your, what your rank is or what your respect is. You need encouragement and I need encouragement, all of us. Ezra was an encourager. The people were encouraging Ezra and so on go these things. Paul the Apostle's ministry was marked by encouragement. he just gotten stoned and wiped out. He gets up out of that and he goes back and encourages the people. He also knew his need to be encouraged himself. The purpose of the church, our family, is for the encouragement in our faith. Hey, you're discouraged about this. Let me say what, tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I understand about you. Let me tell, and we, none of us can deny the fact when someone says a kind word, a nice word, it just goes. Someone said it takes 10 encouragements to overcome one discouragement. And I think that's true. Or, you know, 10 hugs to take care of somebody that, yeah, my wife's a hugger. <laughs> okay. Here's the final thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll close. Okay. He was glad. He encouraged them all, and then he continued with the Lord. That's what seeing the grace of God does. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Paul was a man that was fueled by the grace of God. That God was giving into him things he never deserved. He would have never deserved, but God was pouring out into his life. And it was through Paul's uh, repentance, faith in Christ, that he began to realize this whole other life that he said, I'll take all my trophies, I'll take all my plaques, I'll take all my degrees, I'll take everything that I was before I came to know Christ, and I'm going to put it in the trash can because that's all it was compared to the exceeding riches of his grace toward me in Christ Jesus. That's what he said. I, that, that's all just rubbish. He said, I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to forget those things that are behind because that's what the grace of God lets us do. Put it behind us and move on. And Paul the Apostle did it. He continued with the Lord. You see, he was seen as an example to follow. Verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent who? Barnabas to go to Antioch. They said, Barnabas is going to really, man, they're going to love Barnabas. So verse 23, center, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was a good, full Christian man. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed, the tar departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. He had it on his heart, encouraged Saul, bring him back. And he brought him to Antioch, so it was that for a whole year, and I believe, that Barnabas had such an impact on Paul himself in that year and being with him of encouragement and pressing on that God was building into Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the apostle, further fiber for what he was going to be going through. We need encouragement. We need to continue with the Lord. So verse 27, and in these days prophets, from Jerusalem to prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, notice this, each according to his ability. God is never asking us to do what we can't. If he calls us to do it, he's going to supply us to do it. That's the grace of God. Each one according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. We're going to send back, we're going to help them. 
during this time. This they did also, also did and sent it by the, to the elders by the hands of who? Barnabas and Saul. We're going to see that couple as we continue through the book of Acts. So again, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, we need to see the grace of God every day. It makes us glad. It encourages us and encourages other, and it keeps us keeping on for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace. And Lord, you have been exceedingly gracious to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We've been saved by grace through faith. You've given to us, Lord, what we don't deserve of the riches of our inheritance in you. And so we bow our hearts, Lord, before you. We who know you today, know you this morning. And we say, thank you, God, for your grace. And we're praying, Lord, that it would not be in vain, that we would labor more abundantly because of your grace toward us. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And as our heads are bowed, eyes closed, praying, believers in the room, as I shared, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And so we're praying because we know the battle that it is. If you've heard the gospel, which I would say that you probably have, you understand your need to get right with God. There's only one way to get right with God, and it's through Jesus who said, I am the way. So as you confess Jesus, you confess your sins, you confess your need for forgiveness from God, a holy, just God, as you acknowledge that, and then you look to the cross where God put your sin. He knew no sin became sin for you. Jesus paid it all. All to him you owe. He took care of everything that was in the way of you making a, having a relationship with God through saying, I want to be forgiven. I want to know Jesus because, God, I want to know you. So if you'll do that today, repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's simply by God's mercy and then his grace toward you. Through your repentance, turning from your old life and now turning to God in faith. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand so I can see that because I want to acknowledge that. I'm going to ask you then to stand up three simple things and then to walk up to one of the tables. If that's you this morning, we're praying. We're praying. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and keep it up so that I can see that? And then I want to direct you to the tables. So we're praying, brothers and sisters, as we shared, we, we want to see people coming to know Jesus. That's the answer. He's the answer. And it's for you if you don't know him today. His hand up. We're praying. As we close with this final song, if you need prayer, you, my fellow brothers and sisters, each of these tables, that's what they're there for. So you can either go while we're singing, while we're standing up as we sing the song on your own, as you want to just stand before the Lord, thanking him, worshiping him to close. If you need prayer, you can go up during the song or afterwards. Not only will they pray for you, but they're committed to remembering you this week and praying for whatever it is that you're bringing to the Lord. So let's sing this last song, and then I'll close this.